I'm Stephen Tracy, and this is the Ruling Elder podcast of the Committee on Christian Education of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. This is a podcast designed to assist in the education, training, and encouragement of ruling elders in their work. Ruling elders are one of God's gifts to his church. On today's Ruling Elder podcast, Danny Ollinger, General Secretary of the Committee on Christian Education for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, interviews ruling elders who've been involved in teaching adult Sunday school. Hello, this is Danny Ollinger, and welcome to the Ruling Elder podcast. And I'm delighted to have with me uh, this morning two ruling elders uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Michael Shields is a ruling elder at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Hello, Mike. Hello. I'm glad to be here. This is an important subject to me. Yeah, and the subject that we are uh, talking about is ruling elders teaching adult Sunday school. And we also have with us this morning uh, Jim Gidley, ruling elder at Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Swickley, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Jim. Hi, Danny. Glad to be here. Um, Again, just so thrilled to have uh, you brothers uh, uh, with us this morning because you have combined, I believe, over 70 years of uh, ruling elder experience or close to it. And during that time, you've been called upon uh, many years, probably uh, many consecutive years, for teaching adult Sunday school. And for a ruling elder, uh, in regard to teaching adult Sunday school, this could be uh, something new, something that they haven't done. And so we wanted to talk about the wisdom that you would share in teaching adult Sunday school and and some tips that you would give. But the first thing is, um, you're asked to teach adult Sunday school. How do you go about picking out your topic? Is it something that you work with the session with? Is it something that you come back to the session with? Um, do you pick out something that you're familiar with and you have a comfort zone with? Uh, Jim, how would you go about picking out your topic? Well, it- Our session for many years had a framework for the adults uh, program, and we divide the year up into quarters. So for the adult program, the intention was to have one quarter on a New Testament topic, one quarter on an Old Testament topic, a third quarter on church history, and a fourth one on systematic theology. Uh, Given my particular gifts, I was often doing the New Testament topic because I do know New Testament Greek and I find it helpful and congenial to me to dig into the Greek text of some book in the New Testament. So most of the time I've taught uh, New Testament books, but uh, there are always other needs that come up. And so I've at least twice taught on uh, peacemaking using Ken Sandy's book. Um, As to the particular topic that I would do or book in the New Testament, uh, the session always gave me freedom on that. So it was pretty pretty much whatever I was interested in. Um, And hopefully that was edifying to the church. Michael, how did you go about picking out a topic? So we always ask the, mem- the members of the congregation that are attending Sunday school, what topics would you like to have covered? And then um, I collect those topics and take them to the session, and the session discusses and picks what we think will be most edifying for the, the class. And uh, we frequently get 
three or four topics suggested, and sometimes I'll add one that I'm interested in for one reason or another. We tend to study books in Scripture, although we've taught classes on evangelism and apologetics, and uh, um, I've never taught peacemaking, but uh, that would be interesting. And so in our case, we ask what people want. And So you pick out a topic, uh, in your case, the session approves it. How do you go about then preparing the lessons? Uh, what? How many hours a week does it take you? Uh, what's your uh, preparation uh, time? So uh, I, I try to allocate about 10 hours a week uh, in preparing. Um, the uh, When a topic is chosen, like, for instance, right now we're doing the Minor Prophets. And so when we chose to do the Minor Prophets, I had not taught on the Minor Prophets before. I'm not a seminary graduate. I don't can't read Hebrew, don't know anything about Hebrew. So the first thing I did was I talked to uh, my pastor and I talked to some other pastors that I've known. I've lived all over the country, so I know lots of pastors and say, hey, what's your favorite commentary in the Minor Prophets? And I have six that were recommended to me. And so I went and purchased those, and I skimmed them over in probably the the month before, you know, I I got kind of a framework of you know what we're going to do, and then each I, I outline the the book, and and then each week I I know what I'm going to cover ahead of time, and so we try to do about a chapter a week. Um, sometimes it's not possible, um, and then. Uh, I prepare by reading those commentaries, and then I try to read one commentary a day during the week, and then on Saturday evening, finish the ones that I didn't get to. And then um, Sunday morning, I put together—I use PowerPoint, so I put together a slide deck of all the the slides that I'm going to do, and I have a routine for doing that. I was a professor for a long time, so um, preparing the lecture is not hard for me. Jim, how much uh, time would you take during the week? I, I would guess probably six to eight hours. Uh, it would be divided between reading time and pre- preparation. The preparation of the lesson probably takes would take me two to three hours or so. I did not use PowerPoint, but I would create a detailed outline. I wouldn't write out the entire thing that I was going to say word for word. Uh, and... I I really appreciate what Mike said about having several commentaries. If you're going to teach some book of the scripture, uh, having uh, solid commentaries is invaluable. But note the plural commentaries. Uh, Even uh, faithful Bible-believing scholars differ on how to interpret different passages of the Scripture. And it's helpful to compare them and sift them as well as you can, come to your own conclusion. Uh, But over the years, I've come to realize that one of the conclusions you ought to share with the congregation is precisely that Bible-believing commentators can differ on how to understand this particular text. It doesn't make you a heretic to disagree with John Murray or John Calvin even. Yes, I have disagreed with Calvin uh, in interpreting certain texts of Scripture, 
Uh, and you can, I think it's important for people, the people of God to know that, uh, there's, there's a certain kind of personality in the church that, um, refuses to admit any deviation. And so they get the, the bit in their mouth that there's a one interpretation of a certain text of scripture and any slight deviation whatsoever makes somebody a heretic. Uh, that I think is um, destructive to the church. And so informing the congregation of those kinds of differences. Now, now certainly there are interpretations that are unorthodox, heretical, and so on. And you need to warn the congregation about those. But in many cases, there are alternative ways to treat a text uh, that are orthodox and edifying. Um, I would uh, just throw in that uh, you should focus on solid commentaries of faithful uh, and faithful men who believe the Bible. But if, if you have the ability to do it, looking at some of the heretical commentaries can also be stimulating. And I'll give you one example. When I was teaching through Romans, at one point I started looking at Karl Barth's commentary on Romans. And you know, Karl Barth is the father of neo orthodoxy, which um, I recently heard a lecture by R.C. Sproul where he says uh, neo-orthodoxy, some people would say, would be better uh, labeled if you left the E out of neo. Uh, but you know that Bart is not a Bible-believing commentator in the sense that we would accept. But what he did do for me was he forced me out of a comfort zone uh, this one of the you know, great values of that commentary is that it questions comfortable assumptions. And that's helpful when you're dealing with a text like Romans. Now, both of you um, have experience as professors. Many ruling elders uh, um, are not professors. I mean, the vast majority, obviously, are, are teachers. And so uh, you mentioned something in preparing your les lesson. You didn't write down every word. Mike uh, used a PowerPoint. What advice in regard to someone who, this is something that they don't do on a regular basis, standing in front of people and teaching. Uh, how? What should they take up uh, in front? You know, what advice would you give in regard for uh, the materials that you would uh, uh, take with you uh, in delivering that talk and interacting uh, with the congregation, the, the um, I think I never write down every word. Uh, I I think my number one thing is you have to prepare. You're not going to be comfortable if you don't spend the time preparing. But if you read, you know, four, five, six commentaries on a passage, they're all going to have something different than than you feel like you you know it and and. Um, and and so I, I think that's the key is preparing. And so, yeah, it's hard to find ten hours a week. But when you make that commitment, you're committing to spending six, eight, ten hours a week um, doing that preparation every week. And uh, and I think that's the the key thing is you have to prepare. The, everybody has different styles of teaching. 
Um, one just to pick up on the last question, continue a little bit. The um, one of my observations is that I don't try to always figure out who's right. You know, I present these men that are all smarter than I am have these different views, and this one seems right to me, or I couldn't pick between them. And and I also am not afraid to call the pastor up if the passage is a little challenging and say, hey, you know. We taught First Corinthians. There's some passages in First Corinthians that that are a little bit difficult, and so I made sure to talk to the session about this. Is what I'm going to say about these passages before. Um, so be prepared. I would say that's an excellent advice. Be prepared, uh, but some ruling elders, I suspect, are going to feel quite daunted about trying to set aside eight to ten hours a week preparing. I don't think that that length of time is what matters. I think what matters is that you feel uh, that that you are confident with the material that you're going to teach. You've you've uh, studied it enough, maybe at an earlier time in your life. Maybe this is a culmination of things you've done before, but you're confident that you know what you're talking about. That's what preparation is about. Uh, I think if you don't have the the time that Mike is talking about, uh, one way to uh, compensate for that would be to use a book as the subject of the class. So, for example, when I was teaching peacemaking, I used Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. The class was encouraged to buy the book, so I knew that at least some people in the class were reading along with me. So you you have the pre- prepared text there, and the person who wrote it presumably is an expert on the topic and is trustworthy. I believe on that topic, Ken is trustworthy and biblical. So, you know, you rely more heavily on what the author of the text is saying, and your job then is to be thoroughly aware of, thoroughly knowledgeable about what's in your text that you're presenting. So let's say a ruling elder is uh, teaching for the first time. What advice would you give them, for instance, on how do you handle questions? Do you wait entirely to the end? Do you have it uh, periods that you mark out for questions during, or is this spontaneous when questions uh, come up? What, what, particularly for someone who's never done this before, is there any advice, or or is it just basically every class you teach is unique in and of itself? And sometimes questions might come early and often, and sometimes they might not come uh, throughout the the whole lesson. But if you have any thoughts on answering questions? Well, I encourage questions all the way through. Um, I taught graduate school electrical engineering. You can't expect the student to wait till the end of the class to ask a question. They forget the questions. And I think that's true when talking about Bible texts, that the text moves on if you don't allow people to answer questions and so I think you have to get comfortable answering questions, and you have to be willing to say, "I don't know the answer to that question." Um, you know, we have a retired pastor that's in in the class, and I call on him, you know, and say, "What do you think?" You know, I don't know, and and then and a, a great answer that they uh, taught us at the Naval Academy is, "I'll find out, sir." 
And so, hey, I'll, you know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer, but I'll go find it. And there are resources that you can get the answers to. I don't think you should be afraid of questions and and afraid of limiting, the, saying my knowledge is limited and I don't know the answer. That's a great answer, Mike. Um, I think in my case, uh, my teaching style is basically lecturing. I've never been good at the Socratic method of asking questions and trying to draw people out. What I had, my, my practice was simply to uh, expound a certain portion of the scripture that might take me 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then have pause for questions. So my mind would, was more lecture, pause, lecture, pause. And often there aren't any questions. Um, and you just move on. So uh, you both have experience over 30 years of teaching Sunday school. What would the, the current Mike and Jim tell the younger Mike and Jim 30 years ago, things you learned like uh, course corrections you have made in teaching classes. Have there been any in that regard? So one thing that I, uh, in the beginning, um, would always call and ask questions to people in the class. You know, how would, you know, looking at a chapter in the beginning, how would you outline this chapter? And I would ask that when I taught graduate school, I would ask the students, make them think. And I found out very quickly that there are some people you, they will never come back to class if you put them on the spot like that. And that actually happened to me. A, a, a dear godly saint um, said, I'm not going to come to Sunday school anymore because I don't want to have to answer questions. And so, um, you know, you need to know your your class and know your people. I, I was new to the congregation; I hadn't been there that long, and and so, um, but I don't put ever anyone on the spot anymore. Um, I ask if there are any questions, and um, you know, I, I guess the one exception is the one retired pastor. I put him on the spot, but he knows I'm going to do that. He doesn't bother him. But the um, uh, and the other thing that um, that. Uh, I tend to be a perfectionist. I was a nuke submarine officer. Um, and uh, sometimes you don't have, you know, you, you're not able to, to know as well as something as well as you want. And that's okay. You know, so those would be my two things. Those are great uh, pieces of advice, Mike. Um I think I would just say to my earlier self, relax and be flexible. Excellent, yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we've talked a little bit about um, the preparation, the challenges. This is a commitment, just as the other duties of being a ruling elder is uh, it's commitment. But there's also great rewards, I believe, in in teaching. Would you say that particularly in regard to your shepherding, that just being uh, engaged with the adult Sunday school, that uh, it helped you uh, getting to know the people and and helped in that regard. In other words, there are rewards that are very great. Uh, would you agree with that in regard to, to taking the leap if you're a ruling elder in volunteering for adult Sunday school? So um, I, I 
Yeah, the first reward I always point out is that nothing gets you to learn a subject like teaching it. Um, and so um, ruling elders are supposed to uh, have a certain level of knowledge about Scripture and and scriptural topics, and so teaching it will help you develop your knowledge better. But I think also that teaching classes uh, of develops you know, you get to know the congregation a little better and they get to know you better. And so it develops that relationship with people. I, I know that the some of the families that that I've over the years that I've become closest with are ones that um came to my Sunday school class and were introduced to the Reformed faith for the really the first time um you know in our church and in and Sunday school being part of that. Um and I also think that uh, you need, there's a reward in knowing that you're edifying people and helping them grow in their faith. It's encouraging to see someone grow, and and so again, I I'll echo what Mike says. Um, I I think the the, you know, the reward is for me primarily what I what I can see is my own personal development in understanding the scriptures. Uh, this came home to me most powerfully when I just taught through the epistle to the Hebrews. Uh, you, you can't teach the scriptures simply as an intellectual exercise or that's spiritually dangerous. But the epistle to the Hebrews is especially powerful. And you find in the in the epistle the statement that the scriptures pierced the division of soul and spirit. That letter itself pierced to the division of my soul and spirit. Uh, it, it wrestled me to the ground. You don't you don't master the scriptures, the scriptures master you. And uh I just found that text <laughs> took me about eight years to finish it because I would do one quarter, the New Testament quarter, and then there would be other things going on for the rest of the year. And then the next quarter, usually I was doing the fall. So every fall I'd be continuing on in Hebrews. It took me about eight years to, to finish it. Uh, that was a marathon. But it was a spiritual marathon that was well worth running. Uh, the, the scripture examined me. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Jim and Mike, for being with us on the Reformed uh, Elder Podcast this morning. You're quite welcome. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Next time, Lord willing, Danny Ollinger, General Secretary of the Committee on Christian Education for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, interviews David Winslow. David is a very experienced and much-loved ruling elder. Every blessing in the Lord Jesus. <laughs>